Hello and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Hello. Greetings, Earthlings. <laughs> Greetings, Earthlings. Sure. Marv and the Martian. <laughs> we are uh, living in a post-Halloween world at present. <laughs> the interregnum between Halloween and Thanksgiving. Yes, yes. Some people we... skip Thanksgiving, go to Christmas. <laughs> I mean... Thanksgiving kind of... Rite Aid, Home Goods, anywhere, really. I don't believe in Thanksgiving anymore. So I thought it would be fun to kind of straddle... <laughs> the time between uh, end of spooky season and beginning of holiday season by really getting into an amazing topic, which is, y'all, I'm going to talk a little bit about New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean New Orleans? New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> In particular, we're going to talk about its reputation as a death city and uh, its history of cemeteries. Which is very, very exciting. I think for me, hit, anyway. You hit the topic right. You hit the subject right on the head. Uh, <laughs> yes. The phylum of our podcast. I mean, let's just flat out begin by saying New Orleans is a mwah, gift to morbid babies everywhere. Have you been? I still haven't been. Oh, my God. I've been chasing the idea of New Orleans for some time. I literally can't even stand that you haven't been there because I know. You, of anyone in my life, my God, uh, it's just, I've only been once and yeah. it, it, it was like, it was life-changing experience going yeah. to New Orleans and I didn't do, you know, the bachelorette, goofy Mardi Gras version. I just did like a weekend there, tourist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I was on Bourbon Street on like a Wednesday. So it was like pretty mild <laughs> compared to yeah. A Saturday on Bourbon Street. I would like to go in a kind of an alt time. I know they have a lot of festivals and parades throughout the year. The older, Constantly. Yeah, all day. The older we day. get, the more I'm allergic to crowds. Correct. You know, ask me yes. how I live in a city, of course. Yes, but there. mythic. Mythic city. Completely, yeah. I was there um, for one of my besties' wedding. Miss Brittany Shaw, who you all know as the designer of our logo, but I'm also a med... Oh, yes. A mega fan of the show. And so uh, she lived there for a long time. And uh, by the way, I love you. She listens always. Um, she's the best. So uh, going to New Orleans specifically for a wedding is a fucking affair. Mm -hmm. It is so fun. Everybody really does the whole like line thing where there's a fucking band and you're walking through the streets of the French Quarter it's so fantastic. I told Jay, I was like, I feel like I'm in a Zatarans commercial. <laughs> <laughs> but it's real. It's so genuine. Constant parades and music. And you're just instantly in awe of the city. And one of the reasons why you of all people that I know would be so in love is mm. because it has this incredible balance of being a actually stunningly beautiful city, like architecturally but very gritty and very dark also. It's it's so many different things and unique in so many ways. It's obviously best known, I think, for a lot of people as a party city. It absolutely encourages yeah. debauchery. Get your boobs out. Get your beads. Best known for Girls Gone Wild. Yes. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> Spring break. Yes. So many good movies, too. Absolutely. It's it's. It's famous for, obviously, it's French Quarter. That's where all the fun goes down. It's got jazz, public drinking. You can drink 
anywhere right. with a fucking cup of alcohol in New Orleans, which is weird. And it takes you a second to get used to it. But you're like, you'll be at a restaurant. And they'll be like, did you want to take anything to go? And we're like, oh, yeah, I guess we can. Yeah. <laughs> I got a hit of that when I was in Savannah in the spring. And yes, yeah, it was same thing. And it was like, take the beer out. And I'm like, oh, I will. And yeah, I was not ready for that. Like, it's so bizarre. And like, oh, you can walk this back to your hotel? What? Yeah, it's great. It's lovely. It is. But it also, you, by the end of the night, you're sh the streets are covered in vomit. So it does come with a price. <laughs> <laughs> and New Orleans um, is a city that's, you know, survived many deaths itself. Hurricane Katrina. Well, I mean, let's let's come back to that in a second. Let's finish on the positives. The positives are its incredible architecture. This amazing cuisine. Oh, my God, Luke. Between the, between the architecture and the food alone, like, at, at nothing else matters after that because it's so good. The... French, Spanish, Haitian, Creole. If you're a foodie or a lover of architecture, I mean, or forlorn spaces, Luke Boyd. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it's a must do. It's got a lot going for it. And I um when I was in college, I had intentions to move there after college when I didn't have direction in life and I wasn't sure what I was gonna do. And I was trying to get a job down there. And so I applied mm. to I applied to the Confederate Mint Museum. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which I thought was really interesting. And I applied to a position at the uh, at a detention center for young girls. <laughs> <gasps> I was really casting a wide net. You really were. I was. I was trying to be Orange is the New Black 10 years before that was a thing. I thought, yeah, You're I could have handled these chicks. Like, no, I would have gotten stabbed. Like, they would have beaten the shit out of you. Murdered me. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Well, sorry it didn't work out. It you didn't. You can enjoy it in a much more pleasant way, I think, when you actually get to go down. Um, and as someone from the north, and I think you'll find this too when you go, and tell me if this sounds relatable to you. As someone from the Northeast who grew up with very English colonial influences in their architecture, th this very heavy weight of, especially because you're from New England, this heavy weight of Protestantism and Puritanical influence in like the buildings and just the vibe of the city. Like Georgian. New Orleans is so not that. Right. To the point where like, uh, for me, in terms of the United States, it's the most unique historical city I've ever been to. It's New France. It really fucking is. And the house, the shotgun style houses are incredible. I mean, it's really, it's so beautiful, but it's not perfect uh -huh. <laughs> on its darker side. It's famous for, you know, <laughs> speaking of like the spookiness, it's very famous for being one of the most haunted cities in the world. Obviously, voodoo and talk of zombies and all that is not uncommon in in nola but in terms of more temporal things it's infamous for a horrific history of native displacement and genocide the enslavement murder and continuous disenfranchisement of black people mm. extraordinary levels of poverty and devastatingly high crime rates natural disasters the worst in recent memory, of course, Luke, as you mentioned, would be Katrina. Yes. It is in that hurricane belt. It is so vulnerable to flooding. It's below sea level. The city itself is literally sinking. Mm -hmm. um, and for our discussion purposes, we're also going to talk about the fact that it has survived 
with great disastrous outcomes, a plethora of biological outbreaks and disasters. So she's a complicated city. She's she's complex um, and she has a fascinating history that is just endlessly morbid. She's basically if the museum, obviously, the morbid museum should be in New Orleans, probably. <laughs> right. Of all the places for it to live. And I love it. It's a great city. Would I live there? Absolutely not. <laughs> There's no fucking way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will gladly give it my tourist dollars again someday, as long as they restore women's rights and don't sink into the ocean. But <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for another day. Uh, so New Orleans, or New Orleans, or NOLA, or the Big Easy, or the Crescent City, or the city beneath the sea, or for our purposes, Necropolis, a.k.a. <laughs> The City of the Dead, mm-hmm. was founded in 1718 by French colonists and was the territorial capital of French Louisiana before ending up in the hands of the Spanish, mm-hmm. then back to the French for like a hot second. And then finally, America rolled in with our buddy, Mr. Jefferson. He took ownership of the land via the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. So, One thing that I didn't get into yet with NOLA that's incredibly important is it's intensely humid, swampy fucking Mm. climate, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons I would never live there. It is brutal. I Oh, my God. I was there in... I was actually there at the tail end of hurricane season. So I was there like um, a week or so before Halloween, which is, by the way, one of the best times to be there because... The decorations are the decorations are brutal. They are terrifying. <laughs> like they are they do not care about children. Mm-hmm. No one is holding anything back. But it was stifling. It's like it's and you've been to Savannah. You've been to other southern cities. Obviously, you go to Florida. My husband's from Florida. It's that kind of like you feel like you're chewing on the air. Yeah, you're swimming kind of humid. You're paddling through it. Oh, it's just, you feel like you can't even really breathe. It's so dense and intense. I rhymed. Look at me. Uh, (laughs) So when we think of heat and humidity and a swampy climate, there's one little critter that comes to mind who loves a wet, muggy environment more than any other. And this little troublemaker is called, I bet you can guess, Luke. Oh, dear. Mosquitoes. You got it. Oh, I won. (laughs) That's Luke's least favorite game when I try to make him guess something. (laughs) And so that's where I'm going to kind of kick off this story because those little bastards really helped overpopulate the cemeteries of NOLA for (laughs) about the first, let's say, 180 years of its existence. Mosquitoes, as you all should know from basic bio, they are known carriers of some of the most horrific diseases. You know, I was just talking the other day with my mom. I was like, remember when West Nile hit New York? Mm-hmm. We were all so fucking scared. Yeah. And the measures we were taking and like, that's such a rare thing for us to be that concerned about a mosquito borne illness. But imagine living in a place where like, it just is what it is. Yeah. That mosquito you know? net is not just like protecting you from a nasty bump. It is saving your life. Saving your life. And it's easy to forget that sometimes. So in this particular case, in the case of New Orleans, the main illness I'm talking about is yellow fever, 
which luckily most of us have never and likely will never encounter. Generally speaking, these days, the yellow fever virus is found purely in tropical and subtropical areas of Africa and South America. And more likely than not, it was in this country to begin with at that time because of the slave trade. Otherwise, there was no reason why it would have ever been here. Mm -hmm. Um, It is only spread through mosquito bites. So it's not quite as insidious as cholera or tuberculosis, which we've talked about on the pod before. But in this hot, swampy-ass climate, the skaters are everywhere. Mm-hmm. It is it is so damp, like delightfully damp. It's just their it's their dream location. Yeah, that's where they breed. It's uh my one of my favorite terms for what I imagine New Orleans being like at this time period, the early 1800s. It's insalubrious. Insalubrious. <laughs> it's one of my favorite Fantastic words. <laughs> This lack of elevation is a big problem too, right? So any water that gets into the city has nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. So you're getting also this situation where it's not just that it's muggy. You got a lot of standing water, which... Drainage, Eli. Oh, drainage! <laughs> and as an example, so workers would clean the gutters and the canals by literally shoveling all that crap into the streets and it would just wash back in after it rains Mm. and so now of course that's my segue into my favorite topic (laughs) poop yes number two (laughs) the 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 duty (laughs) it is my duty to talk about (laughs) uh so where's the poop going by 1880 most major cities did have some form of sewer system but not New Orleans. Nope. The city beneath the pea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really proud of that joke. Very anyway. good. Very good. Uh, it is still depending almost entirely on privies, a.k.a. holes in the fucking ground. My name used to be Shithouse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Latrine. <laughs> Latrine. Yes. 100%. Indeed. So... Your drinking water in New Orleans at the time would come from these cisterns. So that mm, water. Big pots, of, big pots of water. Big old pots of water. And guess where that mostly came from? The Mississippi. Okay. <laughs> so you're getting your water delivered to you very much in uh, the Thames style. Where it's coming <laughs> through a water company. So very easily contaminated. Sure. And absolutely is capable of causing outbreaks of dysentery, cholera, and typhoid. All our favorites. Big three. Yeah. <laughs> All our faves. <laughs> and this, again, is a direct result of New, New Orleans is, is another one of those cities that just blew up. It yeah. just got super populated super quickly, and they just don't have the infrastructure so you've got all of this gross water situation Mm -hmm. yellow fever has made its way onto the continent so really it's just it's the perfect storm for yellow right because it's at the end of this massive waterway going through the continent you know which is a highway for people disease culture and this is this is is the this is the uh this is shining city at the bottom of that delta you know (laughs) Shining city covered in shit. Shining <laughs> city that's shining because it's underwater. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's like a modern American Venice. Oh, that's a nice way of putting it. Sure. sure. 
So without question, the biggest problem in New Orleans at this time, these couple hundred years, was yellow fever. It was so bad. And this is, if you don't know anything about it, this is a horror movie level illness in its late stages. I There's a podcast that I love that I would recommend to anybody who loves medical history and um, epidemiology. Uh, it's called This Podcast Will Kill You. And I, I think the first episode I ever listened to like four or five years ago was an episode on yellow fever. Mm -hmm. And they always start by reading these firsthand accounts of people who either experienced the illness or lived through it. And I think the yellow fever one was a doctor. And I remember I was like doing something while I was listening to it. And I like stopped whatever I was doing and had to like take off my <laughs> my earbuds and just like sit down and be like, I might be sick. <laughs> like Oof. it was really nasty, really nasty. Especially so, a physician giving you the really unvarnished. Yeah, and and also like a 19th century physician who <laughs> forget it. So it usually begins with aches and pains, which of course can be confused with a million other things. Sure. Um, but if it goes to the second phase of the illness, that's when it gets really, really bad. This is where you will encounter severe liver disease with jaundice, a.k.a. yellowing of the sure. skin and eyes, which is how it gets its name. Hmm. You may experience chills, severe nausea, severe headaches, a dangerously high fever, convulsions, delirium, coma. And then at the end comes horrific bleeding mm. out of all of your orifices. No. With some people, I read a, an article where they talked about, they read numerous accounts of people bleeding through their toes. <laughs> it's so bad. And the last moment for most people, the dying moment is usually you vomit up a ton of coagulated blood and you're done. It's horrifying. Can you imagine witnessing this death? No. What you'd never sleep again. No. No, that's a horrible way to go. It's really horrendous. It's like, take me out back and shoot Oh, me. yeah, shoot me in the fucking face. I don't want to. <laughs> and that's just me watching it. I don't want to shoot me because I don't want to watch it. <laughs> so she's nasty. Nasty, nasty queen. Yellow fever's nasty. And historically, of all the people who would contract this virus, about half would die from it. Right. That's a really bad morbidity. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it's the summer months when this is the most problematic and when the death toll, of course, would be the highest. And as many as 10% of the population could get taken out by this illness in any given year. And it was so insidious, they could almost count on it mm -hmm. annually. A yellow fever season. Yeah. yeah. The flu um, just takes a lot. Yeah. It, it was... To the point where, like, the wealthiest people wouldn't live in New Orleans in the summer. I bet. They'd fucking get the hell out of there and go up north where it was safer. I mean, we do know that yellow fever hit New York and Philadelphia, but those are also cities that can get humid. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that they would also be there. But there's just no beaten <laughs> New Orleans. They really knocked it out of the park with the yellow yeah, fever. No. So on the upside, if you got it and you lived through it, you have immunity. Which is fantastic. Love that. 
we love that. We love an immunity moment. All right. <laughs> so the worst year on record in New Orleans was 1853 when 8,000 residents of New Orleans died from yellow Damn. fever. Yeah. And there was this other one in 1878, and that began in New Orleans and spread as far as Memphis and killed almost 20,000 people across the Mississippi River. Damn. Yeah. The valley there. Yeah. The upper river towns and some of the Gulf Coast cities like Mobile, Alabama, they mm-hmm. shut down all travel to and from New Orleans because they were like, get the fuck away from us. Right. <laughs> and they completely closed all trade with the city at the first hint of illness. And what's interesting about that is there's a real misunderstanding of yellow fever like we have seen with these other illnesses too. They don't understand how they're getting it. So similar with cholera where it's like, don't drink the poop water. This is the don't leave water around. Don't like go outside during these times of day. Make sure you're covered head to toe. You know, like they don't know that there's protective measures you could be taking to help prevent infection because they don't know that it's the mosquito. In -hmm. fact, I don't think they know it's mosquitoes till almost the turn of the century. Oh. Uh, meaning the 20th century. I realized uh, we're in, in a different century. You're now. good. I got you. <laughs> I knew what you People at I knew. home. Yes. Yes. You rubes. <laughs> so um yeah, and what's really fascinating about this that I actually hadn't learned until I did this research was what it also did to New Orleans was it really shaped it in terms of a, like a class system. And which was also, there was a racial element Mm -hmm. and everything. And there's like a couple of supposedly like excellent books. One of, I I do need to get my hands on some of them where they go into just how this particular illness really changed New Orleans and its impacts are still felt today. So yeah, they don't understand that you can't get it from another person. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's going to be some othering as a result. But the first thing they think is if I get it and I survive it, clearly I am superior in some way. Of course. Right. I'm better than you. You think mm-hmm. better than me? Yeah. Yeah. And if you haven't gotten sick with this yet, I don't want you near me. Right. You haven't been exposed. Yes. And so it was like this whole feeling of like, oh, well, she was born here. So she got exposure as a baby. So she's fine. But he's from the next town over and he's never been here for a summer. So he don't know. (laughs) (laughs) He's garbage. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't never had a bit of yelling in you. You don't know. (laughs) You don't know what it's like to watch your mammy puke blood. You never you bleed it from the toes, have you, boy? <laughs> so, yeah, there's lots this... more accents to come, folks. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. So, there's this very, very false belief that it was a result of immigration. Well, that is a very 19th century, 18th century, 21st century concept. <laughs> yes, which is funny when you think about it. Perennial it's, recycled concept that it's totally Johnny Newcomer. Oh, filthy, dirty immigrants. Done. Right. Yeah. Right. Should I say one? Excuse you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So MS-13. Exactly. But the irony of that, of course, is, well, the reason why it's actually here is because you forced people. To immigrate here against their will. 
So <laughs> it's the illegal mosquitoes, really. That's the problem. But they didn't it's know those, that. Those dang mosquitoes. They don't care about borders. They don't care at all. Mm. I have this great quote that I found because people were genuinely ostracized based on their status as mm-hmm. someone who had and survived or someone who'd never gotten it. Uh, and there was this woman, uh, she's a history professor at Stanford. She said in this NPR article interview thing, uh, Catherine Olivarius, she said, bosses will not hire clerks and bookkeepers who are not expressly acclimated. That's the word that they use to describe someone who had exposure to yellow fever. Women will not marry men not described as acclimated. You can't live in certain neighborhoods and people will not rent rooms unless you're acclimated. Certain social circles will exclude you. And so this creates this hierarchy where you have people who are actively seeking to get sick. This is fascinating. Isn't that awful it is it's it's like knowing what yellow fever is and yet at the same time you're like oh i hope i get it so i can go to that party right it's the it's the reverse of what you'd assume you know that but it kind of makes sense today where it's like if you have covid it's like i've already had it once so you know i have some antibodies but like that's temporary but like with 19th century they didn't know anything so Mm -hmm. you would expect it to be like i'm pure i've never been infected but it's also you know it makes sense in this case that you know, you've already, you've already, you've already got it, so you can't get, you can't be imperiled yeah. by it. Yeah. So you have an elite status because you survived I'm, because exactly. you're also genetically superior because of um, eugenics and other things. And if you thought that was crazy, get ready for this. There is this insane and dangerous belief at that time that black people could not get yellow fever. And because. And therefore could and should continue to be forced to labor even during the height of an epidemic because that will ultimately protect the white people, which, of course, upholds slavery and the firmly held belief that black people were meant to be enslaved because God made them this way. They made them immune to this illness. It really just reifies whatever your social order is because in any other society it would be like, Oh, there's people who can't get illness. King, queen, like (laughs) elite status. Let's throw it out the window. And no, No, it's more like, oh, thank God he made you so you can work the fields and save us. Pour my mint juleps. Oh, yeah, exactly. My God. It's it's ugly. And what's really crazy, though, is that's a lie they're telling themselves because they know very fucking well that black people get and die from yellow fever. It happens. However, that being said, I read something that like an enslaved person who was being sold could be sold for 25 to 50% more if Uh, they had an acclimated status. There we go. Mm -hmm. There we go. There's the, there's the why. Because there's obviously there's a fear of contagion Mm -hmm. for one. And then, oh, if I have one, then he's going to spread it to all the other ones. And then before you know it, I don't have any enslaved people. And then what am I supposed to do about my cotton? (laughs) Because it's Mm -hmm. all about me. 
but also it's like I'm making an investment in this person. And if I know that they've already had this horrible illness, then they're not going to die on me. <laughs> he's been exposed to yellow fever at least twice. So, you know, he's good. So this this part of the yellow fever story is so fucking fascinating mm-hmm. in terms of like the social hierarchy of that place at that time and what the continued impact that it has had is wild. Shows you how far we've come in terms of public health, like as a practice, as a society, and just scientifically, you know. Yeah. But, you know, New Orleans is this, I mean, it, let's be honest, it's every city, but New Orleans has a particularly rough history when it comes to lives lost in some sort of calamity. I am always going to think of Katrina because, yes. we, you know, I was very much an adult when that yes. happened and remember watching it live and just watching the wealthy person's experience versus the poor person's experience in that event. It's, it's the same exact shit. This is a long history of this in this place. And when you go to new Orleans and you look at the French quarter and you look at the amount of money that is being made there by their tourism. And yet you go, five, 10 minutes outside of that to the ninth ward Mm -hmm. or any of these other places, Luke, I, I, I remember Jay and I were driving down a street in the ninth ward and it was constant potholes. Yeah. And they were from Katrina. Correct. We were there in 2017. Mm -hmm. Katrina was 2005. Yeah. Right. Yes, it was. That tells you everything you need to know about the money, how money is spent in this place. The fact, and, despite you know, the fact that it makes a lot of money off of this one area, that wealth is not spread around. Right. And any gentrification of New Orleans is is only serving the the wealth that is sponsoring it in that locale. It's not it's not serving the the greater, like you say, the ninth ward, the outer areas of the of the of the city. You saw that documentary, The Pharmacist? Yes. I mean, really challenging, you know, addiction. It's a very vulnerable city. And all cities Incredibly. are epicenters of suffering and morbidity and darkness. And mm-hmm. all of that is part of the, the trade-off. But New Orleans especially. Well, New Orleans is is a unique city in that it's it suffers from this extraordinary poverty and pretty poor infrastructure in many ways. And it is always walking on this razor's edge of the next natural disaster. It's the reason why my beloved friend, Brittany, thankfully she left. Mm -hmm. She was like, I feel like one more flood and I lose everything I own. Cause she had multiple instances and she's an artist. She can't afford to lose her art in a fucking rainstorm. That's crazy. So it's just, it's a tough city, man, but yellow fever, arguably was one of the toughest things it ever had to fucking go through. (laughs) So it remains a scourge all the way until about 1905. So it's got a pretty long history there. By now, the leaders of the city understand that it is mosquitoes. I believe that discovery was made by a scientist in Cuba. That's like towards the turn of the century then. Mm -hmm. Um, So no, it is not uh, miasma. It is not immigrants. (laughs) And so they immediately put safety measures into place where citizens are ordered to, you got to eliminate all standing water, 
cover your fucking cisterns. You know, we got to get rid of all breeding grounds. And also they ordered a quarantine for this outbreak, which is the first time they had ever done that in the history of yellow fever in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Uh, So people could not go out again during the, I think the worst time of day for mosquito is dusk and dawn, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. And during certain times a year, I think also it's just better to just not fucking go anywhere. (laughs) And so that was it. It ended a couple of horrible centuries of yellow fever on the North, not just in New Orleans, the North American continent. That was the last outbreak we ever saw, which is incredible. I think because they finally understood, oh, we can manage this. (laughs) What have we we been doing this whole time? (laughs) Yeah. And it should be noted, by the way, that today there is a vaccine. So in places where it is far more of a scourge, if they are capable of getting the vaccine, uh, they, uh, it is a fantastic preventative, but there is no treatment for it. So if you get it, it's not good. (laughs) Do you know where it's mostly concentrated now? Still in Africa and South America, which makes sense. Those are incredibly humid mosquito driven Mm-hmm. Uh, illnesses constantly there. I mean, you know, malaria is still terrible in those places too. Yeah. And these are also places where uh, they don't always have the best access to medical care, who don't have access no. to these vaccines. The infrastructure's not there. Yeah, exactly. So very, we are very lucky to live where we are in the time that we live. Thank our lucky stars. So, uh, but the damage was done and yellow fever really shaped NOLA its society, and its relationship to death. It saw a lot of death and a nasty, morbid fucking death, might I add. So that's got to have a lasting impact on the social consciousness. You know what I mean? Generational trauma, absolutely. Not to mention, when you have this many people dying, we've we've seen this again and again, and sadly we saw it during Katrina too, you got dead bodies everywhere, Mm -hmm. which is also very scarring. Yes. So, where y'all gonna put them dead people? Let's talk about the cemetery. (laughs) So, obviously, when a city is established, like the lovely city of New Orleans, you don't just decide where people will be housed when they're alive. You have to figure out where they're gonna go when they're dead. And something we didn't get into yet is how incredibly Catholic New Orleans is, which is another reason it's so different from... Uh, the cities that you and I grew up in. Sure. You know, this is one of the few places that is not Catholicating. <laughs> yeah, it's you're right. Spanish and French, very Catholic. Very Catholic. And everyone there was Catholic. They made the enslaved people Catholic. They forced uh, indigenous people who stuck around to become Catholic. That If you were there, you were fucking Catholic and you would be buried in a Catholic ceremony in a Catholic cemetery. No choices. No. (laughs) So the first known public cemetery is a St. Peter's street cemetery. And that is erected in 1725. Mm -hmm. And this is your standard in ground burial situation, which is customary with the Catholic traditions Mm -hmm. of both the French and the Spanish. But For those of you who don't know, and I feel like most people know this, uh, New Orleans is very famous for its cemeteries because most of them are above ground, not below ground. 
And uh, yeah, we'll let's get into that. So in addition to these cemeteries, corpses were also apparently buried in the natural levee that existed along the Mississippi River, mm-hmm. which sounds so crazy to me mm-hmm. <laughs> and problematic. Mm-hmm. A waterlogged dirt mound. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah. And think of just like ah, something about dead bodies in watery, humid climate just sounds like, oh, typhoid fever, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> the thing that protects your city is filled with dead people. It's it's not the best. Yeah. So yeah. So when do they make this switch is the question, right? We don't see this come into vogue until after the next cemetery comes around, which is the St. Louis Cemetery. And that comes about in 1788. And it's actually basically on top of the St. Peter Street Cemetery. Mm -hmm. Uh, St. Peter Street Cemetery essentially was like, it had a bad fire. It was decommissioned. And the city had just been through that really severe yellow fever epidemic. So they, they needed a bigger, better cemetery. Ultimately part of it was practical. And that's a, again, sadly, like one of the rise in need for cemetery. The reason why I talked about yellow fever so much is not just because it creates this, you know, necropolis. That's how new Orleans became known as the necropolis was because of the yellow fever, but because it required more burial grounds. Mm-hmm. So, the St. Louis Cemetery, St. Louis Church Cemetery is built in 1789. And uh, today it's known as St. Louis uh, Number One. It's one of three. And it does still exist in the French Quarter. And it is the oldest that still exists. I see. Um, St. Peter's, the, that original one doesn't exist. Although, apparently, I think it was like 2011, some folks were excavating and mm-hmm. um, found uh, bodies underneath uh, St. Louis. So Pete's is down there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't like disrupt they didn't the bodies. relocate everybody? Nope. Mm. This is how you get poltergeist, you guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a city like London, we talked about that with their improvement projects, like with, you know, finding, um, what was it, uh, King Richard? You know, I mean, like, this is, yep. and this is a micro history in America. It's a couple hundred oh, years, yeah. you know, but it's like, it, it happens all the time. Oh, yeah. The bodies aren't that old. No. Well, that's Here. true, too. They're not degraded. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and there, and there's a whole different way that bodies degrade in this kind of climate, also. Mm. I'm going to get a watery grave. Yeah, this is going to be a two a two parter and I'm going to get into sort of the how the climate affected burial practices cuz it did in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um which is very fascinating, but we're we're not going to have time to get to it today. But let me finish up with a uh, St. Louis Church Cemetery. So, uh it seems like an obvious move that they should switch to above ground and mm-hmm. they don't do that till 1804. Um and it's for not the reason that you necessarily think. Because to me, I'm like, oh, burying bodies here is a terrible idea. Of course. The water table is so fucking high. The likelihood of flooding is tremendous. And the last thing you want is a fucking flooded burial site. But Nola really hits the ground running with above ground cemeteries because in 1794, the St. Louis church is actually elevated to cathedral status. Mm -hmm. And that apparently means 
that anyone, even people of means or the clergy, could no longer be buried in the church. Mm -hmm. So what do the clergy and wealthy decide? Well, <laughs> you wouldn't call me dead being buried next to those poor people. In the mud. In the mud. <laughs> in the Mississippi mud. In the Mississippi mud. With the dricks. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, they're better than that. Mm -hmm. So, we're going to need something that shows how much better we are than them. And thus, the above-ground tombs <laughs> begin. Yeah, so these early tombs are just as much a status symbol as anything else. Of course, class is always involved. If this is what I'm saying. This is mm. so much the story of New Orleans. <laughs> and you, like I said, it's in the landscape today. When you're there, you see it. And you're like, holy right. shit. It's like, it's like <laughs> who's in the high ground? Who's in the low ground? Mm -hmm. And when you go to a cemetery, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on some of the cemeteries themselves and some of the spooky fun stories from some of these cemeteries. You do see, and this is at any cemetery you go to, you do see like a wide span of uh, super poor to super wealthy. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the St. Peter, Peter uh, Street Cemetery, pretty much like everyone was buried there. All of a sudden, this becomes like the place to be seen when you're dead. <laughs> Right. And I mean, I've seen this in other places, like in Spanish countries or Latin countries, you know, where they have like these like tablet looking or table looking, you know, little crypts where it's like, you know, it's a few feet off the ground. It's clearly a human sized or, you know, maybe two human sized box. Mm -hmm. And they also become like a platform where people can gather and decorate. And it's almost like a, a place setting a table. I don't know if I, there's traditions of that in New Orleans with their death culture. Um, mm -hmm. But so. Striking. Yeah, New, New Orleans takes on um it's kind of got its own little flavor. Sure. Um it has its own terminology and everything and that's where we're going to pick up next week when we really get into like what is what is the deal with above ground tombs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I but can't yeah. wait to learn more. Yeah, no, it's it's an amazingly fascinating topic. I just wanted to give you guys a solid footing as to why these cemeteries are so important why there are so many of them mm -hmm. <laughs> in in a relatively small city and sort of just the very very early history of them so we'll be di we'll be diving into the cemeteries that would follow and sort of talk a little bit about what makes each one special significant who are the famous people who are buried at them and uh yeah some of the people who would like to be buried at them at some point our souls have been adequately prepared for this next <laughs> next step in the journey we've gone through the the funerary march and now we get to the part where the the bugles come out and all the, the all mm -hmm. the fun begins as we turn the corner we've vomited blood out our feet and we're ready to go <laughs> <laughs> can't wait yay anything's better than that Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Get the latest on Instagram and TikTok at The Morbid Museum. Get in touch with us at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. Consider becoming a supporter of our podcast by joining us on Patreon. Become an official Morbuddy today. 
As always, we'd like to send a special thank you to all our Patreon listeners. Without you, this podcast really wouldn't be possible. In particular, we want to send extra big, humongous thanks to our Morbid for Life tier buddies, Dennis Barrett and Haley Lamp. Thank you so much, guys. We love you. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum podcast. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.